Hey, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Hard Fried History. Today, we are beginning the second of our three-part series through Napoleon. This is We're doing two different three-parters, yeah. six weeks on basically French history, French Revolution, followed by the Napoleonic era. If you're jumping right in at Napoleon, welcome. And if you're here after listening to the French Revolution, part three, welcome back. The saga continues. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing good. Just kind of, uh, just kind of, uh, really, really confused by French history at all times. Really confused by this era sometimes. Um, yeah. And just really confused how they let like a very small man just take over after this. But we'll get into it. Yeah, height, height does not make the man. It does. As we'll learn. It does. You know? That's what I've. That's what I've heard. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Getting into it. Act one on the march. <laughs> That's what you're going to do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Right on. All right. August, August 15th of 1769, Napoleon Bonaparte mm-hmm. is born in Corsica to Carlo Buonaparte and Marie Letizia Ramolino. It's room. So the background of what's going on in Corsica at this time is Pasquale Paoli's resistance movement against the Genoese. Pasquale Paoli is their big revolutionary resistance hero, and the French are stationing troops in Corsica because the Genoese had just ceded the island. Corsica is like a small island off the western coast of Italy, kind of like south of france just out there in the sea because it's an island yeah uh, and it had just been ceded to the french in 1768 there's an interesting anecdote about napoleon that mm-hmm. uh, both his parents particularly carlo but marie letizia was with him as well they were because they were fighting with paoli yeah they had like suffered a defeat i'm not sure where but they like maria letizia was pregnant and they were having to retreat. And so you can quite literally say that Napoleon was on the march while in the womb. It's a, it's a uh, Corsican history is weirdly interesting in that there's like also like a, a hero of theirs that just was killed. I think this guy named Yvonne Colana. Who oh, recently? Like, yeah. Who was like, mm. uh, he'd been, he was jailed in France for like murdering, I think like like a, a, a very high up official in the Corsican government. And then he was oh. just it was like a big thing in like, like French news, like a month ago or two months oh. ago in March, March. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, this is, this is still Corsican independence or revolution. The revolutionaries are pretty consistent throughout history. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The age of nine Napoleon is, or July 19th, 1778, age nine, Napoleon and his, I think his little brother, Joseph, are admitted into the program, this uh, military program, this military academy at Brienne. Joseph goes to seminary school. They're admitted into this this elite program because they were technically French nobility. The yeah. I think you, I don't. I think you call him like the regional governor, the Comte de Marbeuf. He may have been having an affair with Marie Letizia, AKA Napoleon's mother. Yeah. And so he got the, he bestowed Corsican nobility on Carlo and Marie Letizia and also helped connect the Bonaparte family into 
or get get them opportunities basically and and, and from my understanding they the the father takes up planting and it's not like a great place to plant like it's Corsica from my understanding it wasn't like great place to plant but they like do pretty well with it mm. they're like they're like they're like profession and the what Napoleon is trained it as a kid is a planter mm. you know? yeah do you know what the crop was or I don't know what the crop was I think it was I something about horses I'm blanking okay. on it I'm blanking okay. on it. I left my book okay. I left right my on. book in New York and I apologize it's yeah <laughs> The military academy in Brienne, he slept in a cell, and yeah. they had pretty rigid sleep schedules. Mm-hmm. Apparently, if – and again, I'll get into the sources. Uh, the ones that I'm sourcing from is first The Age of Napoleon by J. Christopher Harold. Very good. If you want to read like one medium-length-ish biography on Napoleon, this is probably the one. Uh, Napoleon by Felix Markham, which is pretty light and small. And then – uh, Napoleon, a biography by Frank Lynn. This is the longest one, but also the most detailed. And Frank Lynn, he's the one who says that the reason they had such strict schedules is to at the military academy in Brienne is in order to crack down on rampant homosexuality because yeah. you just have like a bunch of bunch of teenage boys running around, no no girls. So they're but they're just they got things and they want to do things with them. So yeah, they, they want to do things with the things. It's uh, yeah, it's that's story of mankind, right? Yeah. He's really good at math and history. Those are both his early proclivities that Napoleon shows, I think more so in math. Like he's known particularly for his brilliance in math. And uh, he's bullied a lot at this military academy because he loved Paoli and was constantly espousing the virtues of paoli and the right of the corsicans and it caught a lot of heat for that and also just for being italian or corsican because yeah technically italian quite yet but yeah it caught a lot of heat for being corsican and he's like we're all french you're the odd man out you're goofy you're stupid we're gonna beat you up also but fuck you because i want to do thanks with the thanks you know yeah that's crazy (laughs) frequently Frequently fighting, frequently they, getting caught in fights. In uh, in the book, I, I don't have my book on me, but it's going to be Ruth Skur, uh, Napoleon, A Life Told in Gardens and Shadows, which kind of looks more at his like life as told through like the many gardens and like places that he like built throughout the world. He loved gardens, he loved building, and uh, that is, is kind of starts at the uh, at this at this school at this military academy. He builds a garden like hmm. right outside of his building and that's like uh-huh. one of the ways they bullied him i think they like ran over his garden oh and it was like a fucking thing like he was a little, a little fucking gardening boy dude <laughs> a little bull boy gardening that's cool i would i would make i would pick i would make fun of that guy yeah you make wrongfully fun of so yeah wrongfully so let yeah. me say i would be wrong but i, I would definitely tease him fucking yeah. hard you know make him eat dirt eat worms that's a, the, he learns this is like a, a serious part of the enlightenment is like uh, men's like men having like this kind of control over, over nature. Yeah. And we'll see how mm, yeah. those ideas influence them. When. Yeah. yeah. Also, also how being bullied a lot will just make you kind of hate mankind and want to uh-huh. take over the yeah, world. No, you know? Yeah. There's Ooh, definitely a little bit of that. There's yeah, man. He has some issues that we know uh-huh. a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got to work through it. You know, got to yeah. talk about our traumas, everyone. Yeah. Right. September of 1784 he arrives at the academy royale militaire in paris he's selected from the school in brienne based on how well he did in mathematics and i think his rank at this time is second lieutenant at age 15 
February 1784, his father dies. So the family enters a period of financial hardship. He's the big man in the family right now because he was he's technically the second born, but the first died. And so he's the eldest of Marie Letizia had a shit ton of kids. I think he has like 11 siblings, uh, eight of whom are, I think eight of whom are born at, or are alive at this time with three That's more crazy. that would come. Yeah. That's but point being that he needs to become an officer as fast mm-hmm. as possible in order to make money for his family. It, it was not a great farm that they had. It was not a great, like, uh-huh. like they did something. I think they like, uh, they made like a gamble on a crop or something and it like didn't work out. Was it silkworms? No, something I, I feel can't like silkworms on it. is in the fringe of my knowledge on Napoleon. They fucking did something. It was like, oh, that that should work. And then like in uh-huh. like the, the way like the financial aspects did not work and they wrong horse. Yeah, something like that. It was something yeah, like okay. it happens. Yeah. 1785, 1789. This is his he's working as an officer. Uh, he's stationed. I'm just going to run through where he's stationed because this is not as notable of a period in his life stationed at Valence, uh, Giaccio, which is the, I think the capital of Corsica. I think that's the city where he was born stationed at Paris as well as Oxon. And he's reading a shit ton. He's like devouring books. He's very austere as well. Like, you know, the Franklin biography, it talks about him sleeping like six hours a night and ruthlessly st- uh, sticking to six hours a night of sleep and uh, only eating like one meal a day, like one meal. That's all I need. And then back to the books because I got to, he's just reading a bunch of like military history and trying to learn as much as he can about particularly the early Roman histories and, yeah. and like artillery manuals and whatnot, because a big component of his rise is just the availability and refinement of a new technology that being the cannon you know and just artillery general and just being like okay what can we do with this technology how does it apply to the battlefield yeah so 1789 as we've discussed in the previous three-parter the french revolution begins napoleon and himself i'm just going to kind of give a few select instances to contextualize him within it he's look Go ahead. When you think about the like him being like into ancient Rome, do you think mm-hmm. that was him personally, or just a symptom of the time? Like they yeah, all it definitely were was the, of the times. Yeah, everybody sure. loved Rome and was yeah. like, even in the Republican, like yeah, I mean, because they're talking about republicanism and they're talking about those ideals, and but that's apparently that was where it happened. That yeah, but in some form, I don't know about early Roman republicanism. Yeah, there there was that. a big there was they you know. Roman French men collectively had like a big hard on for like the Roman man and yeah. portraying themselves as like the new Roman men, austere and honor. And putting putting Marat and up in the pan like all these people in the pantheon. Putting yeah the sand culottes wearing the hats of free of freed slaves. Yeah, doing doing <laughs> what men. is best for the yeah. nation and putting the collective yeah, above the self and particularly like fraternity fraternity brotherhood you know we are brothers of the the fatherland and all this kind of like big 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 hard on for all the roman stuff like especially uh san just i mentioned in the last episode he yeah. like modeled himself after a spartan that's the way he's described and kind of he was trying to enact spartanhood and be so like he- spartan you know i don't need food i don't need much food don't need much sleep 
I don't to, need much materials. I just need, I need to do, you know, I need to do. I'm all about doing. I'm a doer. Oh, oh that's a different from my thought. I'm going to go out to Spartans. Fist fuck life. You I know? mean, yeah, that's, that's different from what I thought you meant by like modeling some of the Spartans. I meant you like just thought, I thought you meant like just throwing babies off. And we hate off, Athens. Off cliffs, you know, <laughs> and fucking, and fucking hey. having sex with other men. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's appreciating the strength of another man. Spartan, you know? dude. Filling him up. All right. Yeah. Need some oil on them picks, brother. You've been working too hard. Can I give you a back rub? It's not good. Bros don't let other don't bros don't let their bros have back pain. Okay. I'm throw it out there. Bros don't let other bros have back or shoulder tension. I don't agree with this. That's all I'm saying. I don't agree with this. Help your bros. I don't agree with Give them a back rub. I don't agree with that. If you're liberal with your back rubs, your bros should be liberal with their back rubs with you. And then nobody has shoulder pain. And then everybody can focus on what they need to focus on, which is the gains. Am I right, fellas? Hashtag bros don't let bros have back pain. Let's make it happen. I don't agree. I don't agree with this. (laughs) This is all me, but... It's a strong. I'm I'm planting the flag in the hill here. Okay, planting the, the flag. This is the place the you want to die on. Yeah, man. The, okay. Well, I, I mean, right. I, mean no, I won't die for this, but this okay. Is, no, I mean, this, this is that, one that's of you're my causes. Flag. You're planting one of a my flag. causes. Normalize back rubs. All right, let's make it happen, fellas. I'm not a fan of that, so don't okay. touch me. All right, all you right. can stay in your masculine prison, and I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy my back rubs. All right, I will enjoy giving and receiving my back rubs. Okay, bros, don't let bros have back pain. That's all I'm saying. I'm sure I'm sure it's gonna be pleasant. That's all I'm saying. Napoleon himself, as far as the revolution is concerned, he's loyal to the king, nominally, and loyal to the laws. But his sentiment also lay his early sentiment. Let me say that lays with the revolutionaries. Um, as evidence, he joins the Jacobin Club in Corsica, and for a while he's kind of back and forth between Corsica and Paris. Again, talking a few instances, Napoleon in the revolution, July sixth of seventeen ninety one. The National Assembly at the time requires all officers, all army officers, to take an oath to the Constitution, and many royalist officers resign. Napoleon takes his oath. So he may have done so opportunistically because he's constantly framed as the quintessential opportunist, which may be. Uh, Or maybe he really was at the time, you know, still young, still enraptured with the ideals takes that oath and sincerely means it who's to say i don't know but he, this is also like they they issue that call shortly after the flight to varenne because they're they're trying to consolidate and make sure make sure everyone's good you know I mean, we're on the same page here right fellas he has a heavy outsider personality yeah so like, eh, that's fair it, that's that's a good and point. it does it does be saving like he'd be, he'd be climbing he'd be socially climbing ladders and that was something he was very interested in doing as an outsider craves acceptance yeah good point June 20th, 1792, should be a familiar date. He's eating with a friend on the Rue Saint-Honoré. He sees a crowd heading for the river, and him and his friend decide to join this crowd and see what all the fuss is about. This is the crowd protesting the king's recent veto. There were three measures that the and two of them the, the king decided to veto. We talk about it in the French Revolution episode part two. Uh, particularly the incident that Napoleon witnesses is that this mob gets to the king and they force him to choose between 
the white hat of the reaction or the tricolor cockade of the revolutionary government of of the people and king louis the 16th chooses the tricolor cockade and he also wears the uh, bonnet rouge of the sans culottes and they, they put the red hat on him and this is kind of like the forcible imposition of citizenship status on him they're saying like you're it's it's subtly unconsciously almost or implicitly they're saying you're no better than us you're one of the people also which does not bode well for him long term as we discussed napoleon he writes in one of his journals that uh he would have had he refers to them as les canaille which translates into like the mob or the rabble he would have had him shot yeah because this is king louis trying to appease them and he shouldn't like it seems to be napoleon's thinking by 1792 that there's no room for you shouldn't negotiate you shouldn't try to play both sides you should just if they want it that way let it be and fucking shoot them you know again plant, plant, plant that flag in the in the, on the hill you know he's a gardener dude he knows about you have to sometimes you have to turn over a certain part of a garden or you yeah. like you have to rip out the weeds you have to rip out the weeds and you have exactly. to like you know yeah. i mean you have to you know so some destruction is necessary in his mind yeah. in his profession in his like hobbies so to, to secure the the orchid to, to you, know, you can't the, let the weeds kill the orchid to secure the to, to the to maintain order in the garden yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everything has its place and if you just let these people yeah yeah then they're gonna it, choke it, out all your crops the garden angle the garden angle is really it's really prevalent yeah it's working <laughs> it's working all right dig the metaphor all right yeah. august 10th 1792 this is the like jacobinical attack on the tuileries i want to call it a soft coup i don't know if you would call it a hard coup coup yeah, yeah, i you mean know, like, i mean a coup is like a, a firm it's a it's a general uprising the, yeah. the coup is like a, a small amount. this was yeah. kind of this reads to me more like a solidification this is why i call it a soft coup you know because it's basically just a reaffirmation of the established order but also with some bloodshed you know i don't want to i don't what's weird it's whatever it is whatever the yeah, fuck yeah, it is yeah, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> two thousand of the king's men i think specifically the swiss guards mm-hmm. are butchered tortured looted yeah. and mutilated yeah. napoleon is a witness to this and he's yeah. described some pretty gnarly stuff of not not only like decapitations and parading of heads on pikes but just ripping corpses apart and corpse mutilation all sorts of whatever bad gnarly thing you can think of occurred yeah and he notes specifically that the king king louis the 16th made a massive blunder in again trying to appease because he ordered the swiss guards Mm -hmm. to stand down whenever they first approach and napoleon was like this is another instant where uh king louis the 16th should have recognized the stakes and recognized that it was being taken there so he should have taken it there he should have met the challenge rather than let this happen to him yeah solidifies it clearly there's a change of of thought going on here August 17th, 1792, the legislative, so one week later, the Legislative Assembly orders the confiscation and sale of all church assets, 
So the uh, monastery of Saint-Cyr specifically is dissolved. Napoleon's sister, Eliza, who was a nun there, she had to leave for Corsica. And so Napoleon gets papers granting him leave as her escort. So he falls out of Paris for a little bit, goes back to uh, Corsica. He gets back into the limelight. I think he popped back and forth between Corsica and France a little bit. There was, he has a major falling out with Pasquale Paoli. I don't really remember specifically what about. He just comes to view Paoli as, uh, I think, as a sellout. He, I'm not sure. There was like a big upset he like, there. He like wanted his approval. Yeah. And he, and like Paoli, from my understanding, Paoli is like in like, uh, what's it called? Well, he's in like England yes. or some shit. Yes. Yeah, he's in yeah. England. And he wants like the proof, and like he does never. It's like something they have a. It's it's real personal. It don't seem like it's actually about what Paoli is saying. It seems like yeah. it's personal, and then they have a falling out, and you don't fuck with them no more. Yeah. And that's like it's. Yeah, yeah. He 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 has a lot of emotions. This man. Yeah, very emotional man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He gets back into the limelight in September to December of 1793. He's reemployed because he also was like discharged for a second and there's this whole kind of waffling of his official status in the french army he's back in it at this time uh september to december 1793 you have the siege of toulon going on against the british because the war is going on and he's sieging toulon again southern port of mm -hmm. france he gets into an alliance with this guy general dugomier there was this other guy in power for a while who wouldn't approve Napoleon's battle plan. Dugomier does, and Napoleon leads this 2,000-man charge against uh, Fort Aiguillette, I think is the name of it. Uh, Napoleon himself is wounded in the thigh, and he has to recover for a while in Marseille. But this is one of his first huge major victories that gets him some national recognition yeah. he's promoted to senior gunner in the army of italy and he begins campaigning against austria specifically uh piedmont which is like northwestern italy as we would know it now but like italy wasn't italy it italy was, was a state a, yeah it was a germany big, isn't real yet yeah <laughs> yeah like these like most of like the things were like oh these things have been there forever in germany yeah, they just not at all yeah. 18th 70 something it's not like eight, yeah it's i know germany's like 1880 yeah 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 or like uh, 82 or we'll, we'll talk about it subsequent yeah. episodes but a lot of the the seeds of german nationalism are in reaction to napoleon it's like we're really let this gonna we're gonna let this guy you know ham fist us no yeah. I, don't, I don't think so you know we need to do something about this May to June of 1794, he is collaborating on Italian invasion plans with uh, none other than Augustin Robespierre, Maximilian yeah. Robespierre's little brother. And they're, they're getting down. They're collaborating on the plan. He's petitioning the Committee of Public Safety for approval in the endeavor. And meanwhile, Robespierre's dealing with the Herbertists and specifically the fallout from executing both the Herbertists and the the indulgence and like Danton festival of the supreme being all is going on around this time suffice to say Robespierre has larger concerns at this time so it doesn't yeah. happen but it's interesting to see like as the unraveling of the revolutionary government is occurring as the snake is beginning to eat its own tail 
Napoleon is beginning to say like, Hey, I think we could invade Italy and really pull it off and really yeah. do well. I think, you know, he's positioning. Yeah. July 24th of 1794. This is the Thermidorian reaction or July. I think it was uh, July 28th. I have it wrong here. Sorry about that. But late July Thermidorian reaction, Napoleon swept up in it temporarily suspended from the army. He's indicted and arrested as a terrorist. Yeah. So in August, he next month he's imprisoned. Uh, there's some allegations emerging that he had deposited French gold into Genoese accounts. Mm, I don't know, may or may not be true, uh, but the charges are dropped fairly quickly. Regardless, General Dumerbion says he can't afford to lose an officer of Napoleon's caliber. He was still useful to France, yeah. and so he's let out. And this is where, in the six-part series, we we pick up. It's 1794. Napoleon's out of prison and he's got designs on Italy. Some time passes. April 1st of 1795, Napoleon is engaged to Eugenie, also known as uh, Desiree. Desiree, I think he met her in like while he was recovering, I think, in Marseille. They don't end up getting married. I just figured I would mention as like a marker of time. Napoleon, he heads back to Paris to look for more work, and he cozies up to, at this time, Paul Comte de Barras, or Barras. Barras is how it's spelled. I think it's pronounced Barras. He's like a typical reactionary Thermidorian, one of the guys who has done really well for himself after the fall of Robespierre and the revolutionary government. Yeah. This becomes his new patron. Yeah. He, it's it's weird because it's like if it's just these like figures that like pop up they're like all right dude i've seen every it, it feels like they're like i've seen everybody else try to take control of this government i feel like i could i feel like i'm not in that bad of a position to do the same thing yeah yeah and Barras seems like that type of guy who's just yeah. like wants to use napoleon as a maybe we'll get to yeah as a consolidator yeah but it's interesting to see how cyclical all these things are to where somebody will pop up and and maintain control or be on top of all of these crashing waves for like four years. Yeah. And they'll either like escape with their lives and do really well for themselves or, <laughs> or die or, yeah. get, or get guillotined, you know, it's like, it's a it's mixed a hot, bag. It's a hot game. Life, yeah, is a, life is a hot game. Life is a hot game. Yeah. Guys, you know how it is. This is yeah. And Barras is just one of the guys who's, who's surfaced, and is trying trying to, to ride the waves at this time. Yeah. June 21st, 1795, there's a new constitution. Executive power is placed in a five-man directory. So now we've gone from Paris Commune of a bunch of delegates, whereby, which was kind of de facto ruled by the 12-man CPS. Gone away, I'm pretty sure gone away is the Paris Commune, or at least the idea of it, if not the thing itself but we've got this five person directory so you see cps is 12 now we're going we're whittling it down a little bit a little smaller five man directory with a bicameral legislator two houses 500 in the lower house and then an upper house of ancients or elders it's not quite as liberal as it may or may not seem uh non-property classes could not vote Mm -hmm. So you still have a vestiture of power and just people who own property. 
There's also the decree of two thirds, which said that we're, you know, with the new constitution, we're going to form a new legislator, but that decree of two thirds says two thirds of it has to be chosen from the old because they're fearful of uh, royalist sweep of like a bunch of royalists coming into power and saying like, all right, we vote for a new king. And it's like, no, 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 yeah. we're going to, we're going to maintain some of the establishment. We have to maintain it. It, it does. Uh, yeah. That's, it seems like, it seems like, it seems like the, after, after the Thermidor, like the, basically the upper class is just kind of consolidated and then mm-hmm. they left out all that same Kula shit. They like, right, fuck, fuck all that shit. Yeah, yeah. Fuck all that shit. It, but all yeah. the upper classes, niggas was capitalists and motherfucking, you know, had land, own land. We're like, all right, let's just kind of consolidate this. Yeah. And most of those people who were like educated enough to even be in the room at that time, which, you know, they, they, you know, they had certain interests. Yeah. Or, you know, per- pertain to certain interests. That, that's, that's one of the reasons that Simon Shama cites as a reason that the French Revolution failed is because it didn't actually fundamentally address or change no. structure. It just kind of shook up the bag mm-hmm. a whole bunch. And the, I almost want to say natural, perhaps the natural social stratification that just happens that just is maybe I took would, place and there was a new upper class and a new lower class i would i mean i think of, I, th- I thought the lower class was those those people was never kind of changed the people who didn't have bread yeah just didn't have fucking bread and there's starving people before and there's starving people after and it, there's this like new maybe non-aristocratic bourgeois liberals who did well a, did okay the, the before the, the revolution and then came out of the revolution on top and they the mer- were the new overclass. Yeah. It's the merchant class. Yeah. Merchant class kind of like they were the ones yeah. you know, with all the money, all the money they, they but they Bought had these the revolutionary lands. ideas and all yeah. those. But then the other aristocrats are gone and they are the top because they killed they them. They are all. the new aristocrats. They murdered them all because they were yeah. part of this thing. And they're just yeah. like, and now, yeah. So, but it's, it's, it's like a new, it's a new flavor of the same old thing. Yeah, no, and it's like a new development of the same thing, you know, that's you can argue everybody's like, oh, this revol- enlightenment or this time of like revolution, uh, you know, that they, they get rid of kings, but then you replace them with like businessmen yeah. and people who have like their own tiny fiefdoms yeah. in terms of like or merchants or other type of stuff. But yeah, yeah. all right. August 15th of 1795, Napoleon is ordered to join the army of the West. As an infantry brigadier, this would be in his eyes. Uh, this is why he doesn't take it. He sees it as a div, uh, demotion. He doesn't yeah. want to get sucked into Vendée because the royalist uprising is still occur, still hot. Yeah, and he doesn't want to get involved with it. Understandably, he's stalling. And Comte de Barat gets him a job at the topographical bureau of the Committee of Public Safety which it's not the same as it was before. It was already staffed with generals who just didn't have a post. And it was stretched, I think, to a much wider membership than 12. Just yeah. chilling out there for a little bit. And then August 3rd of 1795, you have the revolt of uh, royalist Michel Le Pelletier. And he launches his march on the Tuileries. He's backed by this other general, Menu, and the Paris garrison, about two, uh, 20,000 National Guardsmen. Comte de Barras needs Napoleon's help to put this down. And so Napoleon, he establishes a cordon around the Tuileries Palace 
with recently requisitioned artillery. So this is another moment where you see the artillery come into play and change the future as a new technology does. And he repels like waves of guardsmen, although he's outnumbered. And he, unlike King Louis the Sixteenth, fires upon these royalists, Matt fires upon the people who are uprising, kills yeah. about 600 insurgents, but puts down the revolt and secures power for Barras and the directory. Yeah. Barras names Napoleon the hero of the hour. Uh, Barras resigns as commander-in-chief of Army of the Interior and names Napoleon his successor. He's given a pretty nice stipend, and he's a de facto governor. He control he has control of the police and the Secret Service, so certainly a promotion for him. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> this is also around the time when he begins his affair with Rose de Beauharnais, also known as Josephine de Beauharnais. Uh, she's got a, a kind of a questionable scandal ridden past also very bad teeth. And, uh, she also was having an affair with Bara that she was like one of Bara's mistresses and it's, was just kind of like passed off to Napoleon. It's a weird, like she's, she has, uh, she's a, like a aristocratic woman of the time or wealthy kind of, she has some like money. And she also like lies about her age. Like she's older than Napoleon. Mm -hmm. And like she's lying about her age. And this is the thing, it's she will become his wife and she will become, you know, the first empress of yeah. France. Yep. But it did uh, she can't have children. She's not gonna have she can't have children. She has trouble yeah. conceiving. Yeah. So this and the, this is a weird part of Napoleon kind of like buys her houses i forget where the house is but he buys their houses outside of paris like a house outside of paris when he's kind Mal of Maison. yeah when this is yes that's Maison. when he's like when he's like newly ascended and he's like on the on the way up and she's kind of the woman of the time mm -hmm. but uh, yeah and also yeah he's gonna build massive gardens yeah there mm -hmm. also he loves gardens yeah he's still gardening up yeah man yeah. Still keep keeping up with it, man. It's good. It's good. Good that you're keeping up with it, man. He would. He would like basically have her design the gardens, and then he would come in like, "This is gaudy as shit. This is bullshit." <laughs> <laughs> and then, and but like it was his way of like kind of keeping her busy. Mm. Is like they they yeah, would redo was, these houses and like yeah yeah. She was throwing her thing around, man. At this at this. Everybody at this was everybody. Yeah, so that's fair. It's also like a yeah. He's fucking uh, other people also like. Not quite, just, not, huh? quite not quite yet. No, I would yet. argue. I, I would know. argue he was always. He always had like they. He always had a mistress. I would argue that he doesn't start. It's not Josephine that makes him fuck or like cheat outside the house. I don't know. Maybe I think that Frank, that's Franklin, a kind of a constant yeah. in this time. But that's a, like it's not just this absolve. But that's what we'll, we'll get. To. I guess we'll. That, that, Frank Frank McLean mentions a lot of his mistresses. But I do not know if that study was exhaustive. Let, let me say that, that he might have been getting it at other times. But I've also read that he had like a weird thing around sex that like he didn't necessarily enjoy it as much as other men or whatever, that he was kind of like, eh, let me get this out of the way, you know, because I have to do it like eating. But the track record of Josephine and Napoleon, like she loved that dude. Yeah. And like he loved her, like he wrote, yeah, he kind of banished her <laughs> or like kind of like kind of shat on and like divorced her. 
Um, but like he like until the, like he's like the was like dying, like he really thought about Josephine as like his one true love, I guess, or like the one that was like the most important to him. Because yeah. he has one after this, but she's like much younger, and they don't seem to have the same type of although she does she does bear kids. There's a whole thing. This is complicated. This nigga has a lot of affiliations. Let's just yeah. <laughs> yeah. This gets us into act two consolidation. Yeah. So on March of 1796 this is when napoleon and josephine are married i've read that they they each thought the other was rich and like that's <laughs> oh yeah she doesn't really have any money yeah she doesn't have any money like, she's kind yeah of like, that's why they got she, she had a bunch money. of debts yeah yeah she's from like a class but she's not yeah caked she, out. she runs in the circle but it's one of those things where it's like a big la movie star yeah and it's like oh yeah they're broke as shit yeah, you know, but they're still a movie star, but they're fucking broke as shit, you know. So it's yeah, like, they see the you know Napoleon's like, well, I'm I'm close to the directory now. Yeah, let me make sure that I consolidate my my wealth and power by obtaining wealth. So and then Josephine's like, this dumbass is gonna pay off all my debts, and it's like they both played each other and they both got duped, you know. But a love did a, a love did flower between them undoubtedly uh, and they, they she loved him dog she would miss him till his, her dying day dog even she still like talked about him like he was her true love and, and she and he banished <laughs> he, yeah. the, he divorced her until they get the fuck out of here yeah but set her up with a bunch of money it's all yeah 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 there's like a, a few love letters of theirs that i have yeah. in this other book that i want to read i haven't got to it yet yeah. but i will napoleon in that same month, I believe, March 1796, he's appointed by Barras to the Army of Italy. He thought, Barras thought the way to take down Austria was through Italy, kind yeah. of like a localized Afghanistan mm -hmm. of like the way the U.S. quote-unquote took down the USSR, sucking them into an unwinnable war of attrition in foreign country. Same idea. Yeah. Uh, so Napoleon arrives at Nice, which Nice is like right, basically right on the border of modern France and Italy. And he's preparing it up. He arrives. The troops are mutinous and underfed with around 37,000. And it's time to blow off some steam, boys. Time to, time to, get, time to get the bag. All right. <laughs> so the Italian campaign itself I will date from April 1796 to October of 1797. And I'm going to be real. It was pretty boring to read about. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of like, if you don't know the geographical region, well, it's a lot of just names. And, and then if you don't really have a clear understanding of the exact military hierarchy or who's who, of this time it's a lot it's just a lot of names it's like this italian name this french name this so i'll give you the highlights <laughs> <laughs> i found it pretty i was just like god damn <laughs> the looting of milan is one of the so milan's one of the first cities that's taken it's looted as well as the rest of italy like this is where france gets a lot of uh, italian art i think some of which is returned but not not all of it and so, like, a lot of major Renaissance pieces are made off with uh, 
a lot of the war is concentrated in northern Italy because the Austrians are sending in troops. And so there's like battles going and Austria borders modern Italy in like the northwest. And so there's a lot of like action going on up there. But also the Austrians are like flanking across west and going, trying pretty making for France and trying to attack, get on French soil. That way they'll drag the French out from like northeastern Italy or even like peninsular Italy and back towards back towards France. Rivoli is one of the major battles and major victories that Napoleon has in which is like northwestern. Italy so again closer to France and he like repels the Austrian invaders in June of 1796 so two months after the beginning of the campaign Napoleon has a letter to Barras where he says I hate all women I am in despair my wife has not arrived she must be detained by some lover in Paris yeah. and she was yeah, uh, she eventually does visit him. That was like one of the major issues is that he's like he's com he's commander of the army of Italy. He's got a reputation to uphold and his wife is running around on him with this guy named Hippolyte Charles. Oof, what a name. <laughs> what a awesome. name. One one. Wow. It, it also it's again, notice, noticeably it is. The fact that like she is knowingly running around with somebody like people can see that is actually the issue. It's not the issue. It's not that they fuck because they both everybody fuck other people. Yeah. <laughs> they just you, you're supposed to just be secretive about it. Yeah. And if you out here just running around with nigga like yeah. going to plays and shit. Yeah. And everybody you go on opera and shit. And everybody seeing you. And it's like come on, dog. Keep 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 it secret. Yeah. Keep keep your side piece your side piece. Yeah. People don't know game. I'm gonna give it to them one day. Yeah, man. I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him piece of that game one day. Gonna be the 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 hitch of the 2022s. No, I don't want to do that, dude. No, okay. that's a that's a that's a. I don't want to help nobody. <laughs> Keep it all for yourself. Not subscribe to your Patreon. That's what you got to do, man. The Patreon. That's what dog. you got to do. Come on, dog. That's where it's at. That's where the bag's at. That's what I've heard. Stop know. saying the bag. You're gonna kill that tank. <laughs> I feel like everything's immediately killed. I gotta use it while I can. I gotta ride yeah, this you gotta wave. Really, I gotta actually, enjoy my yeah. time in the sun. And enjoy then you know, it. once enjoy we collectively bag. kill it all as we do on the internet, then we can move on to the next thing. But it's enjoy. in right now. It's in right now. I'm dating this podcast episode by saying yeah. it. You yeah, know, no, I mean, go. yeah. Go ahead. Flag flag in the hill. That's what I'm all about. This episode. A lot of flags, a lot of hills. Okay. I'll let you do that. I'll let you, I'll let you, I'll let you kill yourself. Thanks. Let you hang yourself. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> February 10th, 1797. This is where you have the Treaty of Tolentino, which is signed between France and the Papal States of Italy. They cede the uh, Italy, the cedes Bologna, Ferrera, and Romagna to France and pays them. 30 million francs, I think. Uh, Napoleon begins to campaign into Austria. So he's consolidated Italy, and then he swings up northeast into the underbelly of Austria. March and April of 1787, he offers a peace treaty to Vienna, to Austria, with a deadline of April 18th. And he's, uh, he's saying peace. If Austria gives Belgium to France... Uh, allows it to occupy the left bank of the Rhine River and gives it the Ionian Islands off the coast of Greece as well. 
Uh, Austria also needs to recognize the Cisalpine Republic of Milan, Bologna, and Modena, uh, three states, or I'm sorry, three like city states in northern Italy, I think, while Austria keeps Istria and Dalmatia off the coast of Croatia and Friol, which Friol was interesting to me because it's like right off the coast of Marseille. And it's like, why would you still allow Austria to have an outpost right off the coast of France unless it was not viable for them to station it militarily or stock it militarily and it was like good for trade then that makes sense this ends up this is like the basis for what becomes the treaty of campoformia between austria and france signed in october of 1787 it's a it's a notable things that happen on that like the with the treaty with austria uh they almost taking of vienna um uh yeah. beethoven is in beethoven and like handel like on handel george i'm trying to think of the guy's name beethoven and handel are like both in like vienna at the time mm. and like i think like mm. handel like is particularly like survives like a a french artillery shelling shelling or something like uh. that and beethoven specifically like anti-napoleon yeah i think he was like he's like you know because he's austrian yeah and, yeah so Yes, yeah, it's very interesting to see, like, at the time, like, they both were, like, composers, you know, or having to deal with, like, the invasion of, the, of the, you know, Napoleon. Yeah, France, I mean, the Napoleonic era. it's interesting as an American to learn about this stuff because yeah. it's, like, we just know all these names. Mm-hmm. We don't know the overlap. Yeah. So it's interesting to see the overlap when it happens. You're like, oh, oh, shit. Hey, hey, I know those guys. <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's also this this incident or this suspicion that Napoleon has against General Moreau, mm-hmm. which General Moreau was, I think, in like Switzerland mm-hmm. and or somewhere nearby. And Napoleon's in Austria and he's sending dudes over to General Moreau saying like, hey, man, I'm in Austria. If you come and back me up, that'd be sick. And maybe we could really, really take it right to Vienna and score some better treaty terms. Yeah. And Moreau doesn't say anything. And Napoleon starts to starts to talk with the Austrians about Campoformia because he's unsure about General Moreau. And he keeps on writing to Moreau. It's like, dude, where the hell are you? I'm signing a treaty right now, unless you come and back me up. And then maybe we can do something more. And then it isn't until the talks are like finalized and solidified then general moreau decides to cross the rhine river there's suspicions that moreau might have been conspiring with the directory that they had been thinking the austrians had been thinking there might be a royalist uprising in france so let's drag our feet a little and moreau had been thinking maybe something will happen in the war maybe the austrians will capture napoleon and just kind of recognizing him as a, as a threat yeah and thinking that like Moreau could fill that power vacuum, perhaps, or potentially somebody could, that that they were basically kind of putting Napoleon on the altar, so to speak, but Napoleon doesn't end up becoming the sacrifice, and then it isn't until after the things happen that Moreau's like, oh, you wanted me to cross, you wanted me to cross the river, you wanted me to cross, ah, okay, sorry, sorry, I was confused, you know. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's very, that's uh, Mao did the same thing. Yeah. During the, you know, uh, then I've heard the great when they're like running from like nationalist forces, 
and they supposed to link up with like another general. Yeah. And he's like, like, I'm not gonna link up with you because I because I we need I need to get to a certain place first so I can be the leading army, so I can be the yeah. leading general. Yeah. And I can have that said about me. So like you won't come in with your larger force. Yeah. And be the more dominant general because it's all it's all about yeah. power and who's you know. Yeah. It's yeah. classic bullshittery. Yeah. You know? No, it's just it's just dudes like okay, thinking like oh I could really like have a lot of power here and like I'm yeah. just kind of let's see. Let's not, see what happens. We're not all on the know? same side. Yeah. September of 1797, uh, there's a royalist agent arrested in Trieste. He's got some papers on him, which implicate General Pichegru, who is one of France's top generals. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Barras uses this as a pretext to smear the other members of the directory. September 1797, this is what's known as the coup of Fructidor, because that was the, that's the month uh, corresponding with the revolutionary calendar. Uh, there are these rightist forces that Napoleon and Barras want expunged, specifically Carnot and Barthélemy. Uh, general Augereau, who's a subordinate general of Napoleon's, he's sent to put it down. And then he gets a big head because he's the one in Paris. And so basically Napoleon threatens to resign and to, in order to force the hand of the directory. And Campo Formio, the treaty with the Austrians, has not yet been ratified. So he still has that big bargaining check, chip. And if he's the one who resigns and he's the one who negotiated, then it's like, then France will be in trouble. And so Barras is like, oh, shit. Ultimately, uh, Bartholomew and 50 other, 50 other royalists are sent to Guiana and sent to Guiana, being sent to Guiana, it even happened in the, in, it was a punishment implemented by the revolutionary government. I didn't mention it in previous episodes, but it was occurring back then. I think by the time of the terror, by like the 1790s, if you didn't want to guillotine somebody, you sent them to Guiana. And so that's what they did. February of 1798, Napoleon writes a letter to the directory uh, on the implausibility of the invasion of England without naval supremacy. He's back in Paris at this time. Campo Formio has been ratified and he's been chilling out for a little bit. They want to know what to do next. Uh, Napoleon, he's also not willing to let anyone else conduct the invasion of England. So that's another reason why he might just be trying to sabotage the idea of invading England, but he's also not wrong. Yeah. The Directory and Napoleon, they kind of realized that at this time, they either had to launch yet another coup within Paris in order to consolidate power or win laurels in a different field of battle. And Talleyrand, who I think is foreign minister at this time, he suggests Egypt. Yeah. Napoleon is in agreement. Because the the bays, uh, bays or like the regional governor, the princes of the Ottomans had been un unfairly treating French merchants at that time, or at least that was the claim, and yeah. so they used that as a pretext in order to launch this invasion of Egypt. Um, Napoleon is also thinking. I think I think there's a lot of this just comes down to like LARPing, or just looking back on the historical precedents, yeah, and reenacting those. And so he's thinking about Alexander the Great mm -hmm. and what a threat conquering Egypt would pose to British interests in India. I think he is also 
thinking about the crusades and like the holy land and he's thinking oh yeah egypt is good because i'm not only emulating alexander the great but godfrey of bouillon or whatever you know well, i say there's also like a, a the, the part about uh, there being a lot of, like of wheat and bread or like a yeah. good amount of yeah, like, food that can come from europe can come from egypt um yeah. also yeah the french do the same thing to mexico with, <laughs> through the pastry war yep where they pretend like oh man there was a there's like a riot or whatever that affected some french businesses and yep. that you you have to pay the money for the for this one pastry shop that kind of took the president of being the thing like that's like the thing in all the media sources and all the journals or newspapers at the time and yeah, yeah we're gonna go to war with you because you we need you to pay for this french for this pastry shop at yeah. this yeah so it's like yeah, they love doing that. That was, yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody need a pretext. That. You need a pretext. Yeah. If you're going to have a, pretext, you need a pretext. That's need a pretext. Always. In order to pay for the war, France sends a bunch of generals abroad to loot Rome, Holland, and Switzerland as well in order to shore up them finances because you need a pretext and you need some coin in order yeah. to launch a war. That's what I know. Yeah. That's what I know. This gets us into Act 3, Rays of the Sun. June of 1798 august of 1799 this is again what i'm dating napoleon's time in egypt first malta which is like right off the southernmost tip of modern italy this small little island is taken as a naval base it was run by the hospitaliers the hospitalers hospital yeah hospitalers how would you say it in hospitalier whatever it's like this ancient order of knights that fought in the crusade and specifically like doctors and whatever and they had had control of malta basically since yeah. the crusades and i think people had been popping in and out who would establish like nominal control but the guy who's in charge of the hospitalers is like prussian at the time but 200 of 300 of the knights are french and so they just kind of let it they just let it happen you know yeah. so now you've got a supply base for this assault there's a weird land. there's a weird history also in like West in the West African, like in the uh the Songhai Empire, that mm-hmm. they that they particularly would order they, they get mercenaries and like their favorite mercenaries were French, mm-hmm. uh French knights in like the 60s. That's interesting. Yeah. So there's like a weird order of French knights, and you can still find them like in the Sahel region of like Mali. There's like people who are descended who are like from French knights. Huh. Yeah. They That's just really stayed cool. there. Yeah. Yeah. Napoleon lands at Marabout, which is about eight miles from Alexandria, and he begins his assault. July 21st, you have the Battle of Giza, also known as the Battle of Mbaba. The pyramids themselves are in view. You've got a bunch of French soldiers refreshing themselves in the watermelon fields near, near there. Napoleon's opposite, the General Murad Bey, He's got his forces. He orders a cavalry charge. Napoleon had sent out one of his top generals who actually dies. I'm not sure if it's, I think it is in this battle. He had sent them out as like a forward unit to go do some scouting, I think, named Desay and Rainier. Rainier, Rainier was what we would say. Um, They're doing some scouting. They come back as this battle is going on. So the cavalry charge is coming toward the French soldiers in the watermelon fields. And to say and Rainier, they move into that gap now created between the enemy cavalry and the infantry. And they just unleash. There's this devastating volley from Napoleon's troops against the cavalry. 
And then to say and Rainier, they clean up the infantry and it's, it's pretty much a, a, a sweep for the French and they, they loot all of like the Mamluk corpses and take all that, take all their rings and whatever kind of treasure they have on them. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Napoleon enters Cairo and he's basically, he calls himself ruler. Uh, yeah. He, but he also calls himself a friend of Islam and he, he gives instructions basically as soon as the French land that he wants Alexandria preserved and not looted. And he says, uh, he says to Cairo, or he says to like the ruling elite of Cairo, he announces that Cairo and the 14 provinces of Egypt would be ruled by a council of nine sheikhs. And we would just have a French advisor. We'll just give, we'll just throw a little advisor in there, but he, he recognizes the importance of religion and he does. So he does so at home domestically a little bit later on, which we'll talk about in the next episode, but it's interesting to see that he's, he sees religion as a means of social control to the Mm -hmm. point where he's willing to leave power at least nominally in the hands of, of the ruling elite of the sheikhs of the ulama, you know? Yeah. There's a, he also, it's his first time like kind of controlling a society. It feels like, yeah. Like where he's truly in charge of the Mm -hmm. society is also builds. uh, I think he builds a Tivoli garden in, in, in Cairo. He builds a garden Mm -hmm. as kind of a meeting place for like, that's like kind of like trying to beautify the city. Um, yeah, and also the, the the I think we'll get into it a little bit after this, but you know his there's quite this there's uprisings there's kind of like yeah. there's, there's some things that happen and yeah, yeah. no it's not all hunky dory no like, no they didn't they didn't accept ex, accept <laughs> French rule right <laughs> July thirty first of seventeen I'm sorry no seventeen eighty eight correct you have the Battle of the Nile so shortly after this great victory under the pyramids of Giza. His fucking dumbass admiral, I think he's an admiral, Bruez. He basically, I'm not sure whose fault it is. There's some speculation on that. He leaves a wide opening for British Admiral Nelson. And he basically wipes out 13 out of 15 of, of France's ships, completely like devastates the French Navy. There's 1,700 French casualties associated with this. At the same time, around the same time, Josephine's affair with Hippolyte Charles becomes public knowledge, scandalizes Napoleon. He's like, all right, I just lost basically the entire, the cream of the crop of the French Navy. And now everybody knows I'm a cuck. So it's not going great. Another thing that happens while Napoleon is in Egypt Uh, Another big notable thing, this is the foundation of the Egypt Institute. It's got four initial sections, mathematics, physics, political economy, and literature slash the arts. Uh, This is the like expeditionary core. And that's another thing is that he leaves with like a bunch of scientists and professors and whatever else. They come with him with the express intent of like, we're going to do our job in Egypt, you know? So this is kind of like, I don't want to say. I don't know. How, I don't know how to frame it exactly. It's like you're exporting the Enlightenment almost. It's like there is the conquest, but there's also these Enlightenment ideals. These this new sense of curiosity that's being applied to the entire world, and this is one of the first voyages where you see that come to fruition, especially with the discovery of the Rosetta Stone in July of '99, uh, a month before Napoleon leaves. So. 
it would and, and uh, with the like the enlightenment spreading it's spreading of course right with, with the egypt and like from my understanding with the ottomans they already kind of possessed a knowledge that was it was like pretty good knowledge and that there was more of an exchange where they were taking stuff back to france yeah rather than it being like we're gonna spread the enlightenment here we're taking shit back to france that like we find very interesting because mm-hmm. you know they put i remember they took that in the scar skur ruth skur's book napoleon a life lived in shadows and gardens and shadows um he took he takes like various plants back mm-hmm. and like you mm-hmm. know samples samples of studying because that was like his you know he also like this is yeah he's very into science he's very yeah. into he's a, yeah. he's a planter dude love the plants dude modern man gardens dude build loves gardens i couldn't tie this one in as good but it, it's, it's still it's there. Good, <laughs> another thing that happens is that he gets the muftis of the city to issue a fatwa which ends up becoming backed by mecca mm-hmm. saying that the french were allies of islam so long as they did not interfere with religious practices. There is a student uprising in October of 1798. They kill like 250 Frenchmen until that uprising is like violently put down. So obviously there's discontent. Not everybody buys that. We're all, again, it's not honky dory, you know? Yeah. February of 1799, there's a mass slaughter of prisoners uh, of the prisoners of Gaza and El Jaffa. There's about 2,000. Um, Napoleon's on his way with his army to Syria to intercept the incoming Ottoman army coming down from Turkey. And another two to 3,000 uh, prisoners are put to death after they surrender. Um, I'm not going to try to justify a mass slaughter but in the defense of the French, they did only have enough food to feed themselves. So that's all right. All right. Take your poison. Dog. You know, right, it's no. either like we let all these people starve in mass or like we I'm put not, them to the sword. I'm you know, it's like a, it's you. a hard game to play. I'm, I'm not getting in those waters. I'm just I'm not throwing out. out. All just right. saying. I'm just saying. What's one thing that's like interesting about this? You let them starve. Is that what, is that more humane? I don't know. I don't anyway. think so. I don't know what. That's you, what I'm saying. I don't, know, that, this, I, this I don't one. know. I would pass see, over. I would see, pass over this part of the, I don't the story. I don't, know. Move. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this one thing that's uh, interesting about him, like uh, Napoleon being like, "Oh, we're the friend of Islam." Is this is going directly during the, like the Wahhabi wars, like with the first like Al Wahhab, like the guy who invents Wahhabism. And yeah. it's like relationship with the Saudi family. Mm. And they're like, okay. what Wahhabism is like this yeah. fervent thing that's like very yeah, fundamental is, Islam. And like they that kind of becomes like this is like in, this is like in 1811, like 18 to 18. I know like Wahhab, like he lived till 1792 or some shit yeah, like I that. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But like this mm. is a time, like even in this time, do you have these powers coming in and being like, like the Ottomans are fighting kind of the Sauds or the against the, the kind of the Saudis and being like, oh we're not a fan of that type of Islam. And yeah. then, you know, the British are, are like also fighting. There's like a second Wahhabi war where they're fighting against like uh, mm. kind of radical Wahhabist Islam. And, yeah. uh, and it's weird to see the French come in and be like, we're a friend. Mm. Of Islam. Ah, I see. I see. In, in a deck, you know, cause they're in with the, wars, with the context with the of the Wahhabi wars. Yeah. Yeah. We're wars with the Ottomans and wars with the, with the British. So I didn't, I didn't think about its application in that sense because Wahhabism We've talked about it on this podcast yeah. that it's like one of the cornerstones of Al Qaeda's ideology. Yeah. But it ends up 
popping up as as a result of colonialism and it's it's foreign expeditions we i think we kind of briefly touched it on the side it's a part of the saudi royal families like up was they they link up with wahhab and then they press they like have this like they the wahhabist uprising or whatever i don't know what it's called but like they fucking that's like how they come to power and in this general region and how they become a predominant family is by aligning with the Wahhab, Wahhabi or whatever that dude's name is. Yeah. Al-Wahhab. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about the, the Gaza and El Jaffa massacre is the way it's portrayed later on. Like there's this big painting in the Louvre that shows Napoleon in El Jaffa. And it's, it's framed as though he's like the Messiah. And it literally shows him like curing the sick and whatnot and it's like a huge painting and clearly just distorting the events entirely i'll post it april 1799 he fails to take Accra. he napoleon and his army retreats he's got his army of thirteen thousand at this time it's been significantly whittled down about 4500 casualties 2000 dead 2300 wounded or sick on the road back they burn the countryside to slow the advance of the turks on June of 1799, he sends bands and prisoners of war ahead into Cairo to display the venture as a victory back there because he's basically trying to, you know, just, again, propagandizing, fake news, right? But using it, employing it to his yeah. own advantage. There are two Nile uprisings that are put down by the French. There's El Haj Mustafa and I think one that happens underneath a guy who just goes by El Modi or El Mahdi which yeah. the Mahdi, that's the same guy, the uprising in Saudi Arabia, 1780, uh, 17, I'm sorry, yeah, no, 1979. Oh, he that. calls himself the Mahdi. And so Mahdi. it's interesting to see this, yeah. this Messiah-like figure returning, re-employed or employed before and then re-employed again. That I just like that it popped up again. So I was like, oh, I know what that is. Yeah. August 17th, 1799. This is the departure date for Napoleon. There's news of a Russian invasion heading towards France, I think. And like Russia and Turkey had, I'm not sure about Russia. I know Turkey in particular had joined the second coalition, which is like some Italian states, as well as Prussia and Austria against France. And Turkey had just joined them. So, and there's also like internal rumblings in Paris about whether there would be another coup. He leaves General uh clever i would say yeah. clever general clever in charge and there's this clever there's this quote that clever has about napoleon's departure he says he left us with his breeches full of shit which <laughs> i thought was funny. It's funny it's like we can't take care of this situation this is not good and he knows it and that's why he's leaving he's not like anyway it's was the funny thing about the well not funny but the thing about clever is clever gets assassinated in cairo like in 1800 oh um, yeah yeah like a serious like a student um but yeah it's yeah yeah, it's 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 funny he gets assassinated i think in a garden particularly that like napoleon in a garden also oh wow (laughs) uh that like napoleon like looked over or like saw and like thought it was nice and like yeah so Hmm. just missing death by like by a hair by an inch yeah October 1799, this is when Napoleon arrives back in Paris. There's divisions in the directory primarily and rumblings in Paris generally over the issue of inflation. Their fronts are crumbling. He's having to contend with other generals. 
And there's also some people asking whether Napoleon should be tried for leaving his army still in Egypt when he clearly hadn't cleaned up the situation. He left. And yeah, they're fucked. And they're like, it's like, it's, it keeps getting hotter. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah you got to get out of this somehow. Yeah. Barras has found out that he's been negotiating a bourbon restoration uh, with, and he's attached the price of 12 million francs. He's like 12 million francs. I'll, I'll put a bourbon back on the throne. Yeah. It's all good. You can count on me. And so he's not to be trusted. You've got monarchists, neo-Jacobins, and Thermidorians as the primary contenders for power in, in a turbulent Paris. And so on November 9th, 1799, you've got another coup. The ancients, or the ancients, the elders, the upper house are removed to the Tuileries. Uh, they declare a state of emergency and then they're removed to St. Cloud, which again is like outside of what we think of Paris proper outside the loop. I like to think of it like that um, to avoid a Jacobin counter coup there. The ancients are surrounded by 6,000 men under general Marat, who's one of Napoleon's subordinates comes in later. Uh, Napoleon is named commander of chief of all of the Parisian troops. And he's conspiring with like two members of the directory, specifically Joseph C.A.'s and Roger Ducos. So he kind of cuts Barras out because Barras is a royalist and yeah. Napoleon is a Thermidorian, I would say. So at St. Cloud, the legislator meets, the ancients are in the Gallery of Apollo, which is like a room in St. Cloud. Uh, the five uh, 500... The, the lower house, they're in the orangery, which is another room of St. Cloud. And there's this delay. So the upper and lower houses of the legislator are allowed to mingle and talk. And the lower house becomes unconvinced of the danger to power, uh, danger to Paris and unconvinced of the need to name Napoleon as, as commander in chief. And Napoleon hears about this. And so he's like, all right, just let me talk to him. Just let me talk to him. So he goes in there and he starts like he starts talking to him at first and things get heated and things get out of control and he starts blustering. He starts yelling at them. And, you know, a few senators, they discuss appointing a new directory since three out of five of the old one, I think I had resigned. So they're like, we need a new directory and it would cut Napoleon out entirely. And Napoleon ends up getting punched and he starts bleeding and he's got like a nosebleed going on. And he's taken out of the room because they might have done more violence to him. But like his little brother, Lucian, and some others hustle him out. And Lucian comes out and tells Marat and everyone else and the mob that's kind of assembled out here and all the army troops that, uh, that an English knifeman had just tried to assassinate Bonaparte. Those dirty English knifemen, dude. Those dirty, the, that internal fifth column, man. Yeah, it's ever present. And those English conspirators that just tried to assassinate our commander in chief, we've got to go in there and sniff them out. And so Marat's guardsmen go in there, flush out the traitors, uh, end result, 2 a.m. in I think November 10th at this point, uh, 50 lower deputies with the ancient, they invest power in a triumvirate of Napoleon, Joseph C.A.'s, and Roger Ducos. Uh, this is the this is the beginnings of the first consulate. And so you know, if you think about the trajectory of the Parisian government, we've gone from 12 in the CPS, five in the directory, three in the first consulate. So we're whittling it down, you know, got, gotta love, gotta love some of those prime numbers. Yeah, man. 
You gotta love those prime numbers. All about those masculine primes. There right? we go. There we go. Guys, thank you for listening. This mm-hmm. has been part one of our Napoleon, kind of our Napoleon three-parter, but mm-hmm. also part four of our in general French Revolution to the Napoleonic era uh, right. series. Thank you for listening to Hard Fight History. You can find us at HFH Podcast on Twitter, Hard Fight History on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can find me, Joshua B. St- Josh Stokes, your host, at Joshua B. Stokes on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Henry, where can they find you at? You can just find me, Henry Price on Instagram, uh, Milo Hendricks on Twitter, Henry Price, Hard Fight History on Amazon, if you please. Guys, thank you for listening. Come back for part two. That's right. We'll see you then. Okay. Peace. Peace. Take care.